Take your uh, Bibles now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. We'll look at our sermon text this morning. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. I'm a little modification. Um, sometimes as I meditate on the passage, I change a few things up and, and decided to do so this morning. So we'll be looking at Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28, rather than all the way through verse 31. As we take time now to read God's Word together, reflect on the the fact that it is a gift to you and me, a gift of God's grace to have His Word as we do. Let's hear now Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you please be seated? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are the Father of light. And you give good gifts to your children. And we praise you for your word. And oh Lord, in your mercy now we ask, through Christ, would you give us grace upon grace? Would you give understanding on top of the word? For, for this word is of no use to us, Lord, unless your spirit works within us to give us understanding, faith, and repentance, and love everlasting for the Lord Jesus, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's just say that you leave your children a generous inheritance and you stipulate in, in the will that they are supposed to use that inheritance to invest so that it will continue providing for them into their later years and maybe for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and they are supposed to use that inheritance to bless others. Take from what we give you and give it to others. Let others know the blessing of this inheritance that we've reserved. But instead they spend it like Brewster's millions. They buy an iceberg with outboard motors on the back to drive down to Africa. They totally squander it, waste it on anything that they can find. And not only that, they start neglecting the inheritance altogether. And the next thing you know, they're living in a friend's basement, sleeping on the couch. This is what Israel did. God gave them riches and bounty and he positioned them in a wonderful land, a place where they would have grown crops and ultimately shared with the world and drawn all nations to Christ. 
But they said, well, it sounds good, but we'll worship the Canaanite gods. We'll live in the basement and sleep on the couch. And so as time went along, God judged Israel. He said, well, if you enjoy sleeping on the couch, go sleep on the couch. And he cast them out of the land. And the prophets came along and they condemned Israel. And they called her a faithless bride. But God also gave promises to his people. He said, I'm going to draw you back. I'm going to show you my grace and I'm going to draw you back and I'm going to give the inheritance. And and also I'm going to bless other nations as well. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, one of the significant aspects of this passage is that that here is a a taste, um, as one commentator calls it, an, an earnest money, a little deposit of what Christ intends to do for the nations beyond Israel. And I'm changing the outline on you. Because Jesus in this moment emphasizes this woman's amazing faith, doesn't he? We're going to see a surprising place for her faith. What we're going to notice first of all is that true faith perseveres when Christ seems silent. True faith perseveres when Christ seems silent. True faith calls on Christ when He blesses, when He seems to bless others and not you. True faith calls on Christ when He seems to bless others and not you. True faith accepts Christ's gentle rebukes. And then lastly, we'll see that true faith finally obtains Jesus' favor. This is a surprising place for faith. Now, what's happened here is that Jesus, in verse 21, as he's left Israel, and he goes sort of, uh, for you, it would be northwest, think of the Mediterranean Sea over here in modern-day Lebanon, and he goes to the cities, the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre was an extremely wealthy place. Imagine, if you will, uh, something like modern-day New York City where it is a port of call for all of the nations. If you trade with the United States, you're probably going to come to New York City at some point and drop off your goods. This was Tyre. In its heyday, they traded with David and with Solomon. This is where all the gold and the wealth came from. The lumber that they built the temple with came from this region because it was a port of call for all of the nations. And yet in Ezekiel, Tyre was condemned because when Jerusalem fell, the people of Tyre laughed. And so God condemned them. And then in 605 B.C., it was captured by Nebuchadnezzar, whom you know, the king of the Babylonians. This is a woman. So in Tyre and Sidon, not an Israelite woman. In fact, notice what the passage says, just so that you'll, you'll grasp this properly in verse 22. This is a Canaanite woman. What was a Canaanite woman? Well, she's not Jewish. She doesn't have Abraham's blood flowing in her. She's not a child of the promise. She didn't receive the Mosaic law. 
the promise given through Moses to Israel, she was in fact an enemy of the Jews. God gave the land of Canaan to Abraham and his descendants, and the charge that he gave to them was to obliterate the Canaanite people, wipe them out, wipe them off the face of the earth. This is who she is. Her inheritance by right is what? Utter destruction. This is who Jesus comes to in this moment. And as we meet this woman, look at her. Who could not have pity on her? As she comes, maybe a lone soul as Jesus is walking through the streets of Tyre and Sidon. A lone voice cries out, Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. Her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, Matthew teaches us. And she comes not even to seek her own good, but to seek the good of her daughter. How could you not have pity on this woman? And you and I, as we read this passage, you and I are intended to look upon this non-Jewish woman and notice her great faith. And we'll notice it three aspects of it. First of all, that true faith perseveres when Christ seems silent. What would you do if Jesus totally ignored you? Notice what he does. Verses 22 and 23, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. So now, not only do we have the internal conflict of this being a woman from Tyre and Sidon, but we have the internal conflict, the, the conflict here of saying, well, this is not the Jesus that we're, that we're used to. In fact, in, in the passage after this, we're going to see the Jews literally throwing their, their crippled and their lame and their deaf and their dumb. They're going to throw them at Jesus' feet and he heals them all. But here's a woman and Jesus just walked past her, totally ignored her, pretended that this woman didn't exist at all. How do you reconcile that? Isn't this the one? Just a few chapters ago in Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And yet here's a soul, and you totally ignore her. This is sincere faith. Notice she calls him Lord, and not only Lord, but son of David. In the first of three, three times, she calls him Master. And she goes beyond that to, to demonstrate some of the understanding that she has. You are a son of David. You're a king. You are the Messiah. She cries out to him. And yet we notice that what makes her, her faith a true faith is that she perseveres in it. Jesus ignored her. He passed her by. He didn't answer her, but she's undeterred. And one of the questions for us then is that what do you do when your prayers seem to land on deaf ears? 
Every praying man, woman, and child has had that time of life, multiple times in life, where you've gotten out of bed or you've prepared for bed uh, and, or you, multiple times through the day, and you're asking the Lord to do things for you, important things. Maybe it, you're, you're asking Him to rescue a son or a daughter from the grips of the evil one. Help me. And you hear nothing. You receive nothing. No assurance. Yes, I hear you. This is what this woman received. And what we'll find, and this is an important point of this this whole narrative, is that even though Jesus in His humanity was silent and He didn't speak to this woman, what you notice that is that in His divinity, He is drawing her inwardly. He is perpetually and continually working in her heart and soul, drawing her to Himself, keeping her up, holding her by His Spirit so that she would not lose heart. He's silent externally, but internally He is speaking loudly to her. And that's what keeps her persevering after Him. True faith. Delivered by the Spirit is a persevering faith. Even when my Lord seems silent, He's not answering my prayers, I keep praying. Secondly, true faith calls on Christ when He seems to bless others. Verses 23 and 25. And His disciples came and and begged Him, saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here's this moment. The disciples are going to help out a little bit. The, the leaders of Israel, the one that Jesus will disperse to go into the nations to draw men to Christ. And their first petition to the Lord is, make this woman stop bothering us. They sought to intervene and begged him to get rid of her. And notice Jesus' response. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus teaches us to understand that in his earthly mission at this moment, what he was sent to do was to draw the covenant people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to himself. Those who had physically descended from Abram, these are the ones to whom he had been sent. These are the ones that he is seeking to gather. He's not concerned about Gentile people at this moment. He wants to draw the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words... In God's providence, for this moment, it was this woman's place only to look through the windows of the house and see the blessings of God being showered upon other people and not to partake of them herself. It wouldn't be until the resurrection that Christ would break down the dividing wall of hostility At this point, it still exists. 
To this point, God's blessing is specifically for the Jews and through them to the world. But notice how the woman responds to this message. Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him. Saying, Lord, help me. You've been in this position. We all have. Lord, I don't know what else to say. I'm asking for your help. Help me. Look at her. You could translate this where she comes and kneels before Jesus as she's worshiping him. She's doing everything she can to get his attention. Don't pass me by. Physically getting in his way. Help me. Help my daughter. The second time, she says, Lord, I I acknowledge your authority. I acknowledge who you are. Help me. And she worships him in that moment. Pleading. Over and over and over, Lord, help me. You see, this woman, she's reached the point in her life where she recognizes that she has no other hope apart from Christ. Maybe like the woman with the flow of blood for ten years, she comes to Jesus and and she's had friends praying for her in her prayer group everybody's trying to help her. They're giving her advice. You go down to Guy's Pharmacy. They've got this little bottle. Try that. Try that thing. It will help you. Nothing's helped. She's asked the, the priests of Baal, can you get this demon out of my daughter? Nothing helps. And here, here this man, this prophet of Israel is venturing through her town and she comes out and she doesn't care who's there. She doesn't care how she's going to perceive in her community. She throws herself down before the Lord and she asks for his help. Help me. What, have you reached that point? Do you recognize that you have no hope in this world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you casting yourself down before Him regularly seeking His mercy? What do you do when you need His blessing and it seems like the only people who get it are everybody else that you know? You've been praying. You've been praying forever. Not for a Porsche. You've just been praying, Lord, help me out of this circumstance that's so difficult. Help me. Help my daughter. I just want her to be healed. I don't want to be wealthy. I'm not asking you for that. I don't want to be like the king of Tyre. I just want to be a regular person with a regular life. I just want to be regular. And then your friends come to prayer group and they say, oh, what the Lord did for me this week. I got that promotion I've been praying for. And you sit there and you say, what about me? And you try. Oh, I'm going to be happy. I'll be happy. That's so great. We praise the Lord for what He did for you. And inside, you're angry. 
And can I suggest that one thing that you and I have to do is broaden our definition of blessing? Which is the greater blessing? To have what you ask for in this life or to have such strength of spirit that you joyfully persevere in the darkest of afflictions? Which is greater? To be healed, to have an extra 20 years of comfort, or to have such an abiding joy of soul that even the darkest of afflictions cannot rob it from you. Which are you praying for? This woman perseveres because Christ is persevering through her. And that's the blessing. Initially. The third thing that we see about her faith is that true faith accepts Christ's gentle rebukes. Verses 26 and 27. This is maybe one of the most astonishing parts of the whole narrative Who imagines a Jesus that just ignores the prayers of a lone woman who's asking for help for her daughter? Who imagines? What Jesus is that? Do we have a picture of him? And yet here is this this master. The woman's now before him. And he looks at her, perhaps for the first time speaking directly to her, and he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What's Jesus reminding her of in this moment? Children get blessings. Dogs don't. Now, this is tough. Some soften this. And they'll say, they'll observe in the passage, they'll say, all right. This is not the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 7 where he said, don't throw your pearls before swine, don't have anything to do with the dogs. It's a different word. Here he's talking about a lap dog. Now I don't know if that would help you if I said to you, I'm not actually talking about a wild dog. You're still a dog, but you're at least a lap dog. Is that that much of an upgrade for you? You're still not a child. You're only worthy of eating the leftover food that I put in your bowl at the end of the day if there's anything left. Apart from that, best of luck. Jesus here is speaking to this woman in a parable, isn't he? We recognize that. He's using symbols to teach her a truth. You're not a child, you're a dog. I came to bless the children. And the children of the house are the sons of Israel. You have to have Abram's blood flowing through your veins in order to deserve my blessing so that I will pay any attention to you at all. You are not a child in the house. You're a dog in the house. I think there's an important lesson here that I'll note in brief before we get to the bigger lesson. To this point, God's blessing has been upon the descendants of Abram. But I would just have you note that the rest of the world are still in the house. You see that? 
They may be dogs in the house, but they're still in the house. They may not warrant his covenant blessings by genetics, but they are still under his dominion and sovereignty and authority. They still have a role to play even in the working out of his redemption for his people. These are not free-range animals. They are under God's authority and they are accountable to him. But they're dogs in the house, even if lapdogs and not children. Now, notice verse 27. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Um, when, when I was working in bank, banking, we would, we, you look through a, a, a business's uh, financial statements and you're looking for what we call an inflection point. So the business is losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money, and then all of a sudden in May of 2019, something happened, and they start gaining money, gaining money, gaining money, gaining money. You see, that's the inflection point. Everything's going down until this moment, and then everything changes, and the sun comes out, and there are rainbows, and there are birds singing in the trees. There's an inflection point. What's the inflection point in this part of the narrative? Where do things change? It's at this moment. She's called him Lord. Everything she knows how to do. I'm going to make the faithful confession. Lord, well, son of David, maybe that will get his attention. I'm going to come and I'm going to kneel down before him, get right in his path so he can't get around me. And there I'm going to cry out to him, yes, Lord, none of that changes. It's at this moment that the whole narrative changes. Why? Let me give you just a couple of observations. I want you to notice something very profound. For the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, an individual has understood a parable. Go back up with me. Just a couple of verses. Matthew 15, 15. Here's Peter, who said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus' response, verse 16, are you still foolish? The first profound aspect of this woman is that she understands the parable. She doesn't need an explanation. I know exactly what you mean. In fact, she answers him back with a parable. Yes, Lord, I know. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table, from the children's table. She understands. And not only that, she's not insulted. She doesn't say, I don't know what rumors you've been listening to, okay? But I'm way better than a dog. My mother always said so. She doesn't argue. She says, yes. Not only did she understand what Jesus was talking about, but she accepted it. And as you study God's word, if you read from cover to cover, and God has given you understanding, 
one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to feel yourself buffeted over and over and over and over by rebuke. Not a day will go by that you don't learn some new failure that you have made in life and are making on a daily basis. You're going to be buffeted every day by reminders that you don't deserve God's blessing. If you read. And one of the objectives of Scripture is to drive you out of all hope in yourself. And that's a good thing. Because humble faith given by the Spirit of God, enables you to embrace the fact that you are in and of yourself totally hopeless. And you will repeat back that Christ has earned it for you. I may be a dog, but I am clothed in the child of childs. The very Son of God's righteousness rests Upon this dog, I embrace, I have nothing in myself. I come only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to me by faith. I can say to every indictment that Scripture offers to me, yes, it's true. I don't deflect it. I don't try to turn it somewhere else. I don't try to say, but did you see what that person did? Oh man, he's so much worse. He's a shoplifter. My response to every indictment is simply with this woman. Yes, Lord. I don't deserve your blessing. The more you grow in holiness, the more you recognize your own sinfulness. Think about Paul, just for a second. Apostle. The ways that he would describe himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 9. He says, I am the least of apostles. The least. I know I don't deserve this office. You can hear perhaps some of the persecution coming his way. God's not going to use you. Look at you. You're ugly. He says, I agree. And you don't even know the worst parts. Romans 7, verses 18 and 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. You, you can, like, like this woman, you can acknowledge all the right things about Jesus. But if you don't acknowledge the right things about yourself, you have no part in His blessings. Remember that at the end of the age when Christ returns and He judges the whole world, there are going to be men who cry out just like this woman did, Lord, Lord. And yet they will be condemned by Him. Here's another component to this. Thinking poorly of yourself is not a spiritual remedy unless you think great things of Christ. We often speak of how sinful it is to practice self-affirmation. I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I was named as a who's who in the yearbook. 
It is also sinful to practice self-deprecation as though insulting yourself and slandering yourself and thinking horrible things about yourself on a daily basis somehow gets you merit in the eyes of heaven. The, the whole purpose is here is not so that you'll just say, oh, I'm going I'm to go home and I'm a dog, I accept that. It, that's only worthwhile if you can say, I'm a dog and Christ is great. He is beautiful. He's my all in all. That's my treasure. There is in Christ. Then if you've been, if you've been evacuated of all hope in yourself, I have nothing to offer God. He needs nothing from me. But I have Christ. That's the point. Yesterday, um, I was sitting on my front porch and my neighbor across the street was, he was, he lost a magnet apparently. And he was cursing God because he'd lost the magnet. And he was cursing himself. What's the matter with you? Surprisingly, in all of his cursing, the magnet never appeared, apparently. And in the same way, you can, you can curse yourself all day and think horrible things of yourself all day long. But if you never turn and acknowledge that you have Jesus as your greatest treasure, you haven't gained anything. You see, God wants you to walk in an assurance of your salvation because of Christ. Lastly, what do we see? True faith finally obtains Christ's favor. Verse 28, the whole, whole inflection point, everything's changed. It's like Jesus never ignored her, never called her a dog. In verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus applauded her faith. What, what, what aspects of her faith? Well, she persevered, didn't she? When he was ignoring her, she didn't quit. When he didn't answer her, she didn't quit. She kept coming. Even when his followers came and said, get rid of this person. She's bothering us. She doesn't have any part in our church. She kept going. She kept going to Christ. She kept persevering. She kept pursuing him. And when he calls her a dog, she bows down and she says, yes, I accept that. And that's not even the worst part of myself. I don't deserve your blessing a crumb. Jesus doesn't draw attention to what she's done externally. He doesn't say, you, you bowed beautifully. You prayed beautifully. No, he, you see what he's doing? He draws, he draws our attention to the inward part of her heart that she believed in him. And that's why she persevered. She loved him. And she abandoned everything in her life so that she could have him and his blessing. That's true faith. And he granted her petition. One commentator says the greatness of her faith appeared chiefly in this respect. That by the aid of nothing more than a feeble spark of doctrine... 
she not only recognized the actual office of Christ and ascribed to Him heavenly power, but pursued her course steadily through formidable opposition. She suffered herself to be annihilated, provided that she held by her conviction that she would not fail to obtain Christ's assistance. And in a word, so tempered her confidence with humility that while she advanced no unfounded claim, neither did she shut against her the fountain of the grace of Christ by a sense of her own unworthiness. Sincere faith perseveres in the face of silence. It calls out when only others are blessed. It accepts rebuke. And finally, it receives Christ's blessing. If you take one lesson away from this passage, it's this. Don't stop praying. Don't stop. God gives you faith, and He strengthens it through trials. Faith which comes from Christ will only be strengthened in adversity. And it may not be that that, that faith is evident because you're, you're walking in, you know, bobbing your head to works and you know, is your child still in the hospital bed? Yeah, man, I'm great. But it will show itself in that every, every day you're on your knees before the Lord, persevering in faith, taking hold of Him. The faith that doesn't come from Christ is ultimately going to wither and disappear. Sincere faith perseveres because the Spirit of God, it works inwardly in the heart of His people to enable them to pursue Christ even when it is difficult. Let me, and let me close with one important meditation. If you like this woman, if you're praying for a lost child who seems to be under the grip of this kingdom of Satan, don't stop praying. Keep going. Resist the temptation to lose heart. And you may not hear the voice of Jesus audibly, but He will speak to you inwardly by giving you the inward strength you need to keep going. Keep praying. Keep asking. He will answer. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we come before you acknowledging that it seems a strange thing, especially in the eyes of the world, that we would obtain your blessing by denying ourselves. Lord Jesus, truly, you are our all in all. You are our only hope. And we come before you even now, bowing in our hearts, acknowledging your greatness and also our smallness. We are nothing. We bring nothing. We have nothing. 
We go out of the world with exactly what we brought into it. Naked we came from the womb. Naked we will go into death. We are bare before you. And so we call upon you now to be merciful to us as you were to this Gentile woman, recognizing that we are not by nature children of the, of the covenant of Abraham. We partake of the blessings of, of the covenant with Abraham and Moses and David and Christ only because of the Lord Jesus. Bless us, we pray. Strengthen us, and I pray especially for any family here who may have a child who's not walking with the Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to intervene, to hear every request, to draw them back, to make them faithful, rescue them from Satan's hand, it is weak, and draw them into your kingdom. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.